Welcome to the Branches podcast. Branches is a community of faith, hope and love in the South Orange County. We are a church for people who don't go to church. If you'd like to learn more about our faith or our community, visit our website at branchesoc.com. So Bibles are going to start coming around. We're running out of them though, which means you need to start bringing your own. So take this one, that way it's always yours. Or if you want to be really kind, buy it for everybody and start passing them out. You don't even, you'll look like an usher, but you're just a person that bought Bibles for people. Um, buying the nice ones. We're going to be in Luke chapter 7. Um, it's kind of cool. I was just sitting down, um, and I didn't think, I'm trying to figure out how any of you found us with like three days notice um, with what uh, happened at the harbor, which is kind of funny, but not really. And then I turn around, and one of my best friends from college is here. She works at Hume, her and her husband. Her husband is actually one of my best friends from high school, and I set them up on a blind... I've never shared this story. I wasn't planning on sharing this. But I set them up on a blind date, but he didn't, he didn't know it was a blind date. She did. Um, so we went, and I had, to, I had to ask some random girl out that I didn't know. Or did you ask her? To, uh, anyways, to pretend... I was like, hey, can you go out with this girl? Because like, I'm going out with this other girl. She doesn't want to go alone. She wants to go with her friends. So then Jen and this other girl had to meet each other. They ended up getting married. Um, not me and the other girl, but Jen and, and John. And um, they work at Hume Lake. And if you know what's going on at Hume Lake, there's a blazing inferno surrounding it. So um, she's been evacuated. So her and one of her sons is here. So I want to pray for them and for Hume. Because, you know, when you hear about fires far away, you're like, oh, that's a drag. Until it's somebody you know, um, then everything kind of changes. So let's pray for our friends up at Hume. Father, there's so many people praying. And it's been exciting to see how much you've protected and, and to see uh, so many people taken in and looked out for and um, the ground swelling of God's people. And Hume Lake has been a great tool of yours. We would like you to keep it as it is and uh, continue to use it in more powerful ways. Um, but we surrender everything to you, Lord. Your will be done. You've heard ours, but we surrender to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Um, <clears throat> and it's unique that Jen is here also because I, I was a youth pastor and I wanted to, to open up with sharing this experience I had as a youth pastor at First Pres of San Diego. And you need to know this about the kids, and I have a witness here for me. If you've ever seen the movie Mean Girls or any of those sh- movies where they have, like, these kids where you're like, they're not really made that mean or rotten. No. Like, these kids were gnarly. Like, so mean to other kids. It was, like, blowing my mind. I was like, is this really happening? And they had, um, so we, we, we took these kids away to this camp where they were supposed to run it for the elementary kids. So it was a vacation Bible school for the elementary kids, and it's Rancho del Cielo in in East San Diego. And we're out there uh, running the camp, and then at night, the high schoolers get to stay, which was just exhausting. This was like my first year of ever being a youth pastor. I'm like, I don't think I want to do this. What's the point? These kids, like, they're mean. Like, they're mean to each other. I I mean, like, Lord, what are you doing here? These are like church kids. Like, should I go outside it to the non-church kids? Maybe they'll have the open hearts. So we're at this evening session. By the end of the week, or middle of the week, I don't even remember when it was, but I remember the night vividly. We were doing worship, and um, 
I'm, I'm leading them in worship and I'm watching something happen and something broke where like these kids were on holy ground and their lives and their attitudes started to change and it freaked me out. I don't think I ever told Jen this because you were there and um, as they were there, I kind of slipped off to the side. It's an outdoor amphitheater kind of stagey thingy and I ran out into the woods and hid in the bushes. I know it sounds weird, and I was sitting there behind the bush going, what am I doing behind? But I felt like I was on holy ground, and I didn't belong. Because, I mean, I gave these kids some great messages that week. There was some great worship. But, like, when God shows up, you know when God is there. And you don't manufacture what God does. And his spirit was there, and things were moving, and these kids were becoming who they really were, not what they'd manufactured. And it was so holy. That's the only word I can use for it. I didn't even know what it looked like or felt like, but it felt like I didn't belong. I felt like I don't belong here. So I ran out into the woods, and I was hiding behind a bush. But I was still in charge. I was the adult in charge, and I had a bunch of high schools. So I'd, like, peek up to make sure that they weren't, like, you know, pulling out beer or whatever. Um, But it was this moment where it became very clear to me that I am not holy. And I felt stained. And the reality is I know I'm not the only one that feels that way. And so often when it comes to church, we feel like, okay, are they going to figure me out? Are they going to know I don't belong, that I'm stained, that I'm this, that I'm that? We're going to look at a passage here. And it's the same passage that Esh taught on last week. And when he was sharing with me last week leading up to it, I just was so moved by this woman. He was sharing, focusing on the Pharisees' um, approach to this woman versus Jesus. But I was overwhelmed with this, this woman who felt so stained and so dirty. This, this woman who they called the town sinner. Not just a sinner in town, but the way it's framed in, in Luke 7, she's the town sinner, which is another way to say she's a prostitute. And just the, what she felt and, and I'm going to, spoiler alert, she, becomes, she gets forgiven. And not only is she forgiven, but she runs through a crowd to get to Jesus. What gives her that much courage to go to a place that she's not welcome to? What was it that was going on in her life? What was it that she was forgiven of? And as a pastor, I get to, to hear all these stories over the past, well, since, since that very first camp um, 20 something years ago 23 years ago and to hear the stories of the kids and the college students and the young marrieds and the marrieds and the grandparents and the parents with the kids and the great grandparents and to hear people share stories where you're like what you really think that you think you don't belong I mean I get it I understand the feeling but I also know how irrational it is Because when it's me, then I don't belong. But when it's you, I'm like, how could you think that? Like I'll sit there in counseling sessions or I'll sit there with friends and they're telling me things and I'm like, don't you know the Lord? Don't you know his grace? But at the same time, I can look back and go, yeah, but you can see his grace and it's so scary beautiful that it makes you want to run. And sometimes you run and you never come back. And there's so many things just in this room alone. I mean, for the the few of us that were able to find us, um, there's just this list of stains that we feel are upon us. 
some of the ones I've heard over the past 23 years, um, you know what? My marriage is horrible, and it's all my fault because of what I did in high school. What? You really think that that stain followed you through and that you're getting punished this way? Or some will say, you know, my kids, they hate me. I have no relationship with them, and it's my fault because of the type of person I am. Or you'll see someone whose business is failing or finances are bad, and like, you know what? I'm just not, I'm not worthy of, of success or comfort. Um, or single friends that say, you know what? There must be something wrong with me because I haven't found love. Or I heard this from my mom this week. And it, in, uh, if you, you know me, I don't, my mom and I don't have a really great relationship. It's not like we're mad at each other. It's like we don't hang out. And um, she told me this. She said, and I, I didn't know this. I was always frustrated with her about this. I mean, she doesn't even know my kids' names. And I tried to get the phone. Hey, you want to talk to them? No, 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 no. I don't, I'm not going to talk to them. But she gave me the reason why this week. She said, you know what? I was such a bad mother to you and your brother. I screwed up so bad. I don't want to screw up as a grandparent, so I'm just not going to try. She feels so stained and so unworthy because she felt as bad as a parent that she doesn't even want to give a shot as a grandparent. And as soon as I was about to say something, she said, and don't even give it a shot. This isn't open for discussion. I don't want to talk about it. And some people get to that point where they feel so stained, they just close the doors. And some people do that with God. Some of you in this room, even though you're here, have said, you know what, God? I am so angry with you that I don't want to ever engage again. And then you think, well, now that I've said that, I can never re-engage with God because I, I let loose on him. I'm so, I'm stained with that. And I'll say this, I get feeling that way. And I know me telling you that, that you shouldn't feel that way, it's not going to make any sense because it didn't make any sense to me. Not just that one time, but the many other times when I've been on holy ground and I've seen all of who I am and I see the gap but I want us to look at Jesus because if we can see him, then we can have the courage to come close like this woman did, regardless of what we feel about ourselves. So open up, if you could, to Luke chapter seven. And uh, it, it says that there's a woman in the town who lived a sinful life. But, you know, we can read these stories and not really, not really see the person. And so this woman was a prostitute and this is a likely scenario. We don't know when she first met Jesus. It probably wasn't at this moment because she was forgiven. But how did that happen? You know what? If she's a prostitute, then she had a place where she would go and she would stand. And most likely the night before she was doing the same job. And she probably had to drink just to get through the night and then after the man left, then she probably had to drink alone just to get through the night. And she would have the smell of perfumes in her sheets. And then uh, in the morning, her hair would be all tussled, and she'd have to, to really work with her hair because that was one of the tools that she would use is her hair. And uh, she would rest during the day, and then she would do her hair up, and she'd probably put some coloring on her face. And then 
probably the greatest tool she had would be um, perfume. And uh, one of the most expensive and uh, most effective uh, aromas to attract men at that time was an alabaster. And so uh, they would ha- they, many of them would have uh, necklaces with little jars of this little vial of alabaster. And um, she would go to her appointed place. And the men would walk by, and she'd seen them all. Some of them were, um, some of them were tax collectors. Some of them were, uh, you know, craftsmen. Some of them were the people that took the tithes. They would walk by, and she'd recognize them, and she'd stand there to make eye contact um, because she wanted them to see her. And so she'd put her hair the way it needed to be, and if the hair didn't work, or she'd have, you know, crazy uh, earrings and you kind of dangle them, you know, to kind of get attention. If those didn't work, then the primary tool, she would pop it open and have, you know, a little alabaster and a little more than normal so that it would float out because it was the smell of sex. And so as these guys would pass by, and at some point, Jesus must have walked by. At some point, she interacted with Jesus and saw him. And she went through her ritual, her sales pitch. And as he came by, it probably threw her off when he didn't look down at the contours of her body, but just looked her in the eye. Because when these men come by, they don't ever look her in the eye. But Jesus must have just looked her in the eye. And one of the things that the women would do, I mean, you've seen it in the Mideast, they'd have these scarves. Well, when you're a prostitute, you don't have it covering your face. It's like, hello. And so you just want to be seen. But when she's being stared at by Jesus, I can picture her just taking the scarf and kind of putting it over her face to hide. Not to be modest, but to hide. Much like I did when I ran out into the woods. That sense of, whoa, whoa, he's this person, and everybody knew who Jesus was. Could this be the Messiah? Is this a prophet? Is this a holy man? And here he is walking, and he's just looking her in the eye. And at some point or another in that interaction or him speaking, she understood, I'm forgiven. Now, I don't know how long the process took. It would not be that quickly for me, but something happened. And so we move here now to Luke 7, 37. And it says, a woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume because Jesus was invited over to a Pharisee's house. And when you're invited, the Pharisee felt like, okay, this Jesus, if he's a prophet, he knows all the rules of how we do dinner. Like, there's a process. We've got to do everything right because that's what you do. You better not, you, you know, it's one of those things where if you go over to someone's house, should I bring this, should I bring that? When you're there, you have to do everything the right way. Like, when you go out on a date, you know, eventually you get to that point where you're like, I've got to do this right. Or if you're invited over to the parent's house, okay, uh, the fork, I've got to pull the napkin. I never pulled, put a napkin in my lap, ever, until I was invited to a girl's parent's house. Then I knew I was supposed to do that. When you're going to a Pharisee's house for dinner, there's rules, all kinds of rules, and you better not break them. So he had confidence that Jesus wouldn't break these rules. But then this woman comes in. Verse 38, as she stood behind him at his feet weeping. So she comes in for her to have the courage to come into the Pharisee's house. I mean, she knew she was considered the town sinner, but now she has the courage to walk into the house to get to Jesus. And she has to go through all the most judgmental name callers in the entire community. What gives her that kind of courage to push through and do that? 
because it would have been a crowded place. And the way the place is set up, um, typically in a Pharisee's house of wealth at this time, at this place, it's like a circle, and there's an inner room, and she's got to go through the outer room, and there's windows going into the inner room, and then she's got to get into that inner room. And when she gets in there, remember we talked about all the rules, all the guys are looking over and like, oh, this is going to be good. Because she just broke all the rules. And the whole town's going to hear about it now. Because Simon, one of the top Pharisees, is there. How's this going to go down? Because this is the time where you're given permission to go, get out of here! You can start screaming. You can do whatever you want because that's what they did. Because this woman, they felt, had stains all over her. And yet something happened where she doesn't care. And she can charge in there and go, what? She doesn't care about them. In fact, she comes to Jesus and it says that she comes behind him at his feet, behind his feet. You're like, what is it? Why is she, is she down on the ground with a chair? No, they didn't have chairs. They would have these little low tables and they'd be on their side. They'd eat on their side and their feet would go out and they'd be all in a big circle like that. So she came not just at his feet, but behind him at his feet. And as she's down there, she, she has this, it says that she brought this alabaster vial. That's why she came. She came to, 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 to show her love. To, to express this, this affection towards him, to this thankfulness. And as, as, as Ash described last week so appropriately, next thing you know, she's crying. And as he described, it's not like normal tears. Like, like when you watch Lion King and Mufasa dies, you're like, oh, no. You know, like a little watery eye. Oh, maybe it drips down. No, this is like she, the word that's used there, the word for these tears is the same word that's used later in Luke and in Mark for rain. So it's like coming down, like tears, tears. When, when I was out in the bushes, I started crying. I'm like, why am I crying? It wasn't that many tears, but it was more than usual. It was more than the Mufasa tears. And this woman is crying. So she's probably surprised because she doesn't say she entered the room crying as she stood behind him at his feet Weeping. So when she's behind his feet, she's crying. And she must look down at his dirty feet and all of a sudden notice it's just like there's water everywhere. Oh, no. And so what does she do? She takes her hair, which was used for something else, and now she just takes it down and she starts wiping his feet. You do not take your hair down if you're a woman in the Mideast. And here she is in the Pharisee's house. She's just she's blowing it for all the rules that are supposed to happen in this house. But she doesn't care because love is just pushed through here and so she, she's got tears falling and and she's got her hair down and so she wipes him with her hair and then she begins to kiss his feet these same kisses that used to be for sale and now she's given away for free out of love this is not this is not a sexual moment this is a reverent holy moment i like what David Wilcox said, I was talking to my friend and we were talking about this passage. And he, he said, you know, that reminds me of that, that verse from um, Stronger Places. And this is what David Wilcox said about grace. He said, maybe where the heart breaks into two is the only place grace can get through to find you. Let me read that again. Maybe where the heart breaks into two is the only place grace can get through to find you. I mean, her heart has been broken. And for us as the people of God, 
we have to eventually get to that point where our heart is broken, where we can see ourselves for who we are and get an inkling of who God is. Because when we can see him for who he really is, then we can see ourselves for who we really are. And then grace finds its place there. And this woman is overwhelmed with grace. That's why she had the courage to come there. That's why she's crying. These are tears of joy. She's not like, I'm such a bad person. No, these are tears of joy at her new life. And that's why she takes off this alabaster vial and she pours it out on his feet. This is her most valuable tool for her job and she's pouring it out on his feet. Because when you are on holy ground, your life changes. You cannot be the same person once you've been on holy ground. So the Pharisees are freaking out. And Simon says it to himself. He's like, if this guy were a prophet, he would know who this woman is. Because Simon could have at any moment stepped in and said something, but he kind of holds back waiting for Jesus to do it. He waits for Jesus to send him out. And everybody else is kind of watching also. And so he says it to himself. But Jesus, you know, he's, one, he's not a prophet, but Jesus knows what he's thinking, knows what he's muttering. And so Jesus says, you know what, Simon? Yes, teacher. It's such a fake, right? You know, you know, when you're really upset with someone, but you can still just, oh, really, yes. But you just fake it. That's what's happening here. And so Simon's like, yes, teacher, tell me the story. He said, so this one guy owes 500 days worth of wages. Basically, a year and a half of salary. He owes that to someone. Another guy owes a month and a half. And neither of them can pay back. And the person that loaned them the money comes to them and says, you know what? You're both forgiven. Don't worry about the debt. You're good to go. Who's going to love that? Who's going to be more thankful, more grateful? Now, when you read that, you think, oh, so the woman's the one who owed the year and a half wages, and Simon's probably the guy that only owes the month and a half. Doesn't say that, does it? Doesn't really matter, does it? But he asks, who's going to love him more? And the Pharisee Simon says, well, probably the one that owed the most. You've judged correctly. And then... Verse 44, he turns to the woman. And so he turns to the woman, yet he's talking to Simon. And Esh did such a good job last week of explaining what should be going on with Simon and why was... But for today, I want us to just focus on this moment. Because he's talking to Simon, he's looking at the woman, but he's also talking to the woman, right? He turns to the woman and says to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You didn't give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. So he's staring at this woman, and he's talking to Simon. And I love when he says, he who has been forgiven little loves little. This Pharisee, the only way that he's going to be able to love and to have mercy in this situation is if he knows, like this woman, what it is to have your heart broken and to have grace find its place there. But he misses that. But she gets to experience this. But I love this, and I want you to hear this. 
he looks at her and he says, do you see this woman? And he's looking at her. You know who sees this woman? Jesus. He sees her clearly. She can't even see herself clearly. It's as if Jesus is standing here. He's like, I see you. I see you. I think of myself running into the woods, not just that one time, but the many other times where I'm running, and Jesus is looking at me going, I see you. Not just, hey, you're hiding, but I see you, and I still love you. You can run, but there's no stain. There's nothing in your life that is going to change the fact that I am passionately, deeply in love with you, so much so that I came and I gave my life for you, and I will pursue you till the end of time. Just the same way that Jesus is going to pursue this Simon. Because Simon's on holy ground and doesn't realize it. This woman is coming with all this, all this, this joy and all this. Does she know she's on holy ground? I think she has an inkling. You see, the house is not the property of Simon. Because it's holy ground now. It's going to go down, and it's gone down, and she's there. And I just love that picture of Jesus looking here and going, I see you. Do you see this woman? No, you don't, but I do. And when you think of all of your stains and all the ways that you've fallen short, you're like, yeah, but I struggle with pornography. Yeah, but that affair I had. But yeah, I mean, I stole there, or I really hate that person. In fact, I punished them in a way that I've never told anybody before, and that stain is so deep. And I I think of myself when I ran out on those woods. I think of this woman. I think of all of you. And we sit there and we go, I'm a person of unclean lips. But I want us to remember what Isaiah said. God said, you know what? Isaiah, come here. No, 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 no. He's on holy ground. Isaiah is on holy ground. And he says, I'm a man of unclean lips. He sees that he doesn't belong here. And I live among a people of unclean lips. And so he wants to run away. He wants to leave. And yet, you know what God does? He has a coal pulled from the holy fire and placed on his lips. Okay, obviously, we're talking holiness. His lips didn't start swelling up. But the whole point there was that heat, that holiness, burns out all those impurities. This woman has come in, and she's on holy ground, and now she is being purified. Because here's the thing. I want to make sure we hear this clearly. God loves us. He sees us. But a change has to happen. There has to be forgiveness. And there has to be this step where we decide to walk the life that God actually has for us. Not the one we've chosen. Not the one we got lost. Not the one that we kind of stumbled into. But one in which his holiness comes in and sets us on the path that he intended for us. Because he loves us. We never know really what happens to Simon. I hope that at some point in his life that he pushes through and humbles himself to be at Jesus' feet, to let God do what needs to be done. And more importantly for the moment, I pray that you have that moment, that you come to him and humbly just lay everything at his feet, just like that woman with an alabaster vial of perfume. That was her most valuable property, that was, her, that was part of her livelihood, but she was willing to hand it all over. What is it this morning that you've known for a while that God wants you to hand over? Maybe, maybe it's that shame. Maybe it's, it's like, hand that over. You pour that out. 
let me burn it off. And you're carrying it with you and it's getting in the way of every relationship, every opportunity, every activity you have, it follows you around. Just like this aroma that's just following you around, it's all over you. And you need to lay that at his feet. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's your parenting. Maybe it's your past. Maybe it's your future. I don't know what it is for you. But this is what we're going to do. I want to invite the worship team up. Because I think we get confused a lot with what an offering is. Um, An offering, when we say offering, everyone thinks, oh, so now it's time to put money in a basket. An offering is is what this woman has done. She's come before Jesus, and she's offered up to him. Nobody told her to. Nobody expected her. She did it out of love, and this is what she had. And it's what she felt. I don't know if she did it because she thought, oh, I want to anoint him, or if she came up because she said, this is, this is no longer for my life. I need to hand this over. This is not me. It never was, and it can't be any longer. And now I know. Maybe, maybe she wasn't even, maybe the vial wasn't even it. Maybe it was other stuff going on in her life. Maybe it was the abuse that she experienced as a child. And she's held on this whole time like, I, I deserve that. I must have done something. No. But it doesn't matter. At this point, she's will, willing to pour that out. Maybe that's what you need to offer up this morning. Those connection cards, we, we held them back for a reason. We want you to make an offering today to the Lord. So during the offering, it's not going to be passed around. There's a table over there and a table over there. Nobody's there to receive it. Nobody's going to see it. You don't have to put your name on it and go, hey, this is what I did. Thank you. But it's to the Lord. Now, if you want to and you want someone to call you, hey, we'll do that for sure. Some of you, um, you know, like, well, can I give the normal offering I give? No. (laughs) Not unless you feel like the Lord has called you to. Oh, this is my normal offering. I better put it in. No, you don't have to. Do you think God needs your money? Do you think this church needs your money? Hey, if the Lord wants to cut down this church, let him do it. If he wants it to survive, he's got to provide. This is about you and the Lord. This is about us and the Lord. What is it that he would have you bring to him? So we have a few songs here. Uh, Tyler will kind of direct us on how many songs, so you know if you're running out of time, you're like, but I didn't have a chance. Um, We asked him to put papers in everyone and pins everywhere. If for some reason a pen didn't get to you, I'm sure someone will let you borrow one. Um, But take this time. Be before the Lord, not just by yourself, but as a group. And take your time at any point during the next few songs and make an offering over there on the side.